Christmas to uh, everyone. As you uh, can see, I've been upstaged literally this morning by the uh, children's ministry, and uh, that's a very, very good thing. And uh, we're excited to have so many of the grandparents and aunts and uncles and family members uh, here this morning. Uh, I know it means a lot to your family that you made this a priority to be here. And uh, there's nothing quite like the Christmas season to really enjoy children. And, uh, you know, our Lord was such a great example to us of what it really means to embrace the heart of a little child. And uh, we thought it would be uh, very appropriate this morning to highlight them in this Christmas service of several of our Christmas services this month. Now, a little bit of what you can expect is uh, no one is going to play the accordion today. I want to make that real clear. So if you were here for that reason, I apologize. But uh, we'll start off from God's Word to help us center our hearts on this great season. And I think there'll be an appropriate message there for each of us. Then, uh, as the first century church did every first day of the week, we'll partake of communion together, uh, followed by an offering that our members take up. And if you're visiting, you don't need to feel obligated to give to that offering. And then we turn it over to the uh, children's ministry, and uh, they're going to be singing a couple choir songs for us. They've got a little nativity scene there planned, and uh, the rest of the service is really theirs. And then we uh, certainly want to invite you all to uh, join us for a uh, kind of come-and-go reception that's going to be right there in the cafeteria, and you'll be getting more direction on that uh, in just a moment at the end of our service today. But uh, before we go any further, let's, uh, let's break open God's Word together and uh, let His book, the good book, uh, really center our thoughts on this season. And I've entitled the message this morning, One Remarkable Day at the Temple. One Remarkable Day at the Temple. This is really part of, many people don't realize, the Christmas narrative and the Christmas text in the Gospel of Luke, as we're going to see in just a moment. But I want you to understand that, uh, if anything, among many things this season is, this season is the season to be looking, to be looking for snow. If it's cold outside, and you can only imagine uh, how they felt in southern Texas this week, we, on the other hand, were a little bit jealous. Come on, weren't we? But uh, seven inches of snow in Corpus Christi, who would have thought? Seven inches. But it's the season to be looking for snow if it's cold outside. You know, it's also the season... Ladies, for mistletoe. If he's a little dense, that is. It's the season for, and dads love this, instructions. If some assembly is required. Uh, an older parent now, and to let my son 
do all the assembly for his grandchild, for our grandchild, his daughter. It's the season to be looking for red-nosed lights if you're young in heart. And if not, to be looking for headlights if you're grandparents. And I would also say, on a more personal note, it's the season for insights if you're a preacher. And this is probably my uh, 41st Christmas as a disciple of Jesus. And I am so amazed at the continual insights the Holy Spirit provides in that very brief account of the birth of Christ. You see, it's the season to be looking. The first Christmas, too, was marked by lookers. Joseph looked for lodging, and we know the story. Mary looked at the rather prunish face of the Son of God, the author of life. Countless angels, countless angels would look at their king in human form. Shepherds, the Bible says, went to Bethlehem specifically to see this thing that has happened. The wise men, well, they too looked at the star and pursued where it would lead. But what I really want to focus on in this season of looking is to look at Someone who was looking with more intensity, I put before you, than perhaps anyone else in that manger scene. And that's a seasoned saint named Simeon. Yes, Simeon is actually part of the Christmas narrative. Even though we don't read about him till a little bit later on, days after the birth of Christ. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. It says, at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. You know, unlike Joseph and Mary, 
Simeon did not witness Jesus' birth. Unlike the shepherds or the wise men, he did not visit the Christ child in Bethlehem. You see, he was a whole lot like you and I. And I want you to see that here this morning. By the time he saw Jesus, the feeding stall was already occupied by animals. The manger at that point only held hay. Mary and Joseph, well, good news, they had caught up on their sleep. And the shepherds, well, they no doubt were back with their sheep. Because we can learn from this account that some 40 days had passed since the Christ child was born. Jesus was just over a month old. And we know that if we look at the Torah in the Old Testament and we see that Jesus was to be circumcised on the eighth day, but an additional 33 days later, according to Leviticus 12, the parents were to go to the temple to offer the sacrifice. A baby dedication, if you will. And it was in that encounter, some 40 days later, still part of the Christmas narrative, that Simeon saw Jesus. Simeon was likely an old man with gray hair. The years had kind of etched in his skin, and probably he slowly moved along perhaps with his walking stick. But I want you to know that he was eagerly, intensely waiting for the day when God would take Israel's sorrow away. A day in which God would end the alienation of the people and reconcile Israel and God's creation to himself. Simeon knew that day would come in his day because the Bible tells us in verse 26 of Luke chapter 2's account that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen God's anointed king. You know, one of the most amazing things to me as I study the Bible is that God has timetables. And Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until the Holy Spirit revealed the Christ child to him. What if the Holy Spirit revealed to us that we would not die until Christ returned for a second time? This time very differently in his glory, as the Bible promises he surely would. You know, what's really interesting is that when we look at God's clear timetable laid out in the scriptures, John the Apostle wants us to know that we are currently in the last days. 
that it's very fair to say that some of us may not taste death until this world ends and Christ is revealed in his glory to us. It's a sobering thought. But it's a very exciting thought to those who are in Christ and are ready, as Simeon was, ready, eagerly anticipating his coming. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 27, the Spirit, on one particular day, on the 41st day, leads Simeon into the temple. And perhaps that day, Simeon woke up with very, very different plans. Maybe he was going to stay home that day, well, because his grandchildren weren't performing in the temple. And the accordion player was sick. Or maybe he was actually going to go that day to visit his grandchildren. Perhaps his garden needed weeding. Or the dog, well, it just needed a long walk that morning. We don't know what he had planned when he woke up that day, but we do know that the Holy Spirit had a different plan, and the Holy Spirit came prompting, nudging, knowing that this was the day the child would be in the temple. And so with that nudging, he decided, I think I'll go to the temple today. You know, I, uh, I love how focused he is. But, you know, think of how many other people were in that temple that day. And how ironic they went to the temple because they wanted to have an encounter with God. And yet they had no idea, those people, that God in the flesh was going to be at the temple that day. You know, Jesus didn't come to the temple with angels casting rose petals before him. There wasn't even a blast of the trumpet signaling God's arrival in the flesh to the temple. Jesus did not ride on a pillow or in a chariot. He had no halo or glow. You know how Jesus came to the temple? He gurgled. He nursed at some point. And no doubt, and this may be the only time it's okay to do this, he slept in church. He slept in the temple. I can't help but to think the irony of how many people journeyed to the temple to see God and didn't even recognize that God in the flesh was there. And isn't that a whole lot like you and I? God shows up in places we most least expect it. He shows up in circumstances that we often don't even think to look for him, thinking God is surely not here in this circumstance. 
And yet, if Simeon represents anyone today, he is to be numbered among the great searchers that so make up the Christmas narrative. The shepherds, the wise men, Simeon. Let me share a great scripture with you from Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 6. And I think the challenge for us is to be numbered among the searchers this Christmas. You see, the searchers, they understood that Christmas was not about who had the greatest sell and whether you could get the best buy online or directly to go to the store, brick and mortar as it is. They didn't get all concerned about what we were going to have and whether the Christmas decorations were all up. You see, the searchers, the real was really all about, as we so often forget. They wanted to see Jesus. How ironic today, Jesus is barely even mentioned anywhere in our Christmas narrative today. They were earnest in their search. To us, if I can be candid, we just want to make sure the Christmas Eve service doesn't interfere with our important family reunion or our family plans. There's one translation that I think uh, merits a deeper look. It's Hebrews 11, verse 6. Because somehow the wise men, the shepherds, Simeon, they understood that he rewards those who truly want to find him. And that's going to be the real question this morning. Is, do you truly want to find him this season in your life? Another translation of Hebrews 11.6 says, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Earnestly seek him. Another translation says, he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Sincerity. And then I especially like how the New King James Version puts it. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Man, what a great word. Diligently. I look, yeah, you are going to have to put some effort, some hard work into pursuing your relationship with God. After all, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your strength. Diligent means conscientious. Man, you have some convictions about it. You have some deep character about it. I don't think that's me. So maybe you really need to listen. 
diligent means you're going to be attentive, even without feedback. And diligent means you're going to be persistent. Think of how persistent Simeon was in his search for the Christ child. Let me leave you with this thought. I don't know, you'd almost have to be living in a cave to not see what has been happening on the other side of our country in Los Angeles this past week. We have quite a number of California transplants in our fellowship. My wife and I moved here seven years ago, and the very area that is massively burning, the Thomas Fire, is in the very ministry that Connie and I led for 13 years in Los Angeles. Our 31-year-old son, David, as many of you have been praying, is on the fire line as a first responder as part of the uh, Ventura County Sheriff's Department. I haven't been able to talk to him this week because he's been working such long 14 and 16 hour shifts that I haven't wanted to disturb him. We've got a few text messages back and forth, but his wife tells us all is good, but he, like everyone out there, is exhausted. And I want to leave you with this thought that as you have that visual, it's a visual to remind us that when we least expect it, God could come. I saw on Good Morning America this morning as I was getting dressed, a neighborhood completely burnt out, but all the Christmas decorations in front of the house singed. And how they were remarking what a turn of event for these people who were thinking they were going to have a great Christmas this year. Simeon reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. And we are in the last days, and it is more certain that the Lord is going to come than it is that tomorrow is going to come. Because we are, John says, in the last days. And I might write that he wrote that 2,000 years ago. That should get our attention. But what I really want to leave you with is this more pleasant thought. And that is, what a fresh opportunity for those who lost everything. If they really get past the tragedy of what happened and the mourning of what happened, to think of the opportunity that lies there. The opportunity to start over again. The opportunity to redefine what your priorities in life are going to be if these priorities don't even stand the plane. Connie and I recently looked at a picture of an apartment we lived in when we started our very first ministry in Columbia, Missouri. And I looked at her and I said, we lived in that? How did we get all this stuff? The stuff that requires dusting and feeding and tending 
and organizing all the things that Satan craftily gets us to distract us away from really what is the most important thing in life. Fearing God and obeying his commands, as Solomon said. And so what a great opportunity each new year is. And to me, it begins at the manger, not on New Year's Eve. To reassess what my life is all about and how I, in the days ahead, in the new year ahead, will redefine my priorities of how I will seek diligently the Savior. Let this little 20 minutes of Bible study be hours, hundreds of hours more of Bible study in the new year ahead. Let this time to come with God's people and get off to a great start and refocus for a new week be the first of many Sundays consistently that we will be where the people of God are in God's place. And it's also my prayer that if we are really diligent, let us get with others who can help us understand what God desires of our life and what ultimately is pleasing for him in the day spent here on earth. I could not be a Christian today if it wasn't for those who, when I was 20 years old, kindly sat down with me, opened the Bible, and said, this is what God desires. Do you see it here in God's word? And for me to be quick-hearted to obey. I hope you have that person in your life or those people. I hope you'll look at this time of year as a new start, a fresh beginning. Because, man, the noise, the white noise out there can keep us all from being diligent searchers. But thank God we have the example of Simeon who modeled for us that even though we might not have been there at the very manger and the very hour of birth, it's never too late if we have breath to pursue the Christ child. We're now going to break the bread and drink the cup just as the first century church did, we are told, in the book of Acts every first day of the week. And so let us bow together as we pray. Father, we want to examine our hearts here this morning and commit to be diligent searchers of your will for our life. We know your word leads to eternal life. Help our life to match up to that word. Thank you for the example of Simeon, who saw the very beginnings of your earthly ministry. But thank you for each and every one of us that we've had the opportunity to live long enough and late enough to see the full flourition of the results of that earthly ministry. And because of that, we rejoice in the cross and the blood that was shed, which purchased our salvation. Let us not leave that precious, the most precious of gifts, 
unwrapped under the Christmas tree. We offer this prayer as we now break this bread and drink this cup through Christ.